Hello, everybody. Welcome to another wonderful episode of Zippy the Wonder Snail. I am your host, Jason, Commissar Jason, and I'm here with my co-commissar, Tim. How are you doing, Tim? Hey, Jason. I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. That theme song sounds like sounds like summer and sounds like chicken nuggets in an air fryer. That's what that theme song sounds like. That does sound indeed like all those things. And uh, yeah, chicken fryer air, uh, air nuggets. No, <laughs> air fryer chicken nuggets. That sounds, sounds pretty good. Uh, have you been having some of those, comrade? Yes, indeed. Um, and you may not know this, but I have two air fryers myself. Oh. One of them is uh, smaller, uh, and I can't reach it right now, but another one is bigger, and it has two trays. So I'm getting I'm getting excited for maybe clearing some stuff out of here and being able to use both air fryers again. Nice. So you, that way you can fry multiple things at once then, I guess, huh? Yeah, that's right. Maybe I could do I could do some meat in one or and vegetables in the other or something like that. You know, anyway. Banter, 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 yes. Yeah, it sounds scrumptious and it does sound like summertime food. There's nothing like something nice and good and fried for summer, you know, just shouts um outdoor festival or or what have you. Yeah, we'll get to the outdoor festivals as we go along here, but uh yeah, welcome to the show, everybody. And you wanted to talk about Ukraine, didn't you, Tim? The war goes on, and and to some extent, it seems like maybe our attention shifted. Obviously, we have economic issues here back at home. Uh, we have inflation going up. We have, you know, all the hints of a recession. It's certainly a lot to trouble us on, on that regard, and rightly so. But I think it's important, too, that we keep an eye on what's going on in Europe uh, for several reasons. One, because it is the morally right thing to be concerned about. Um, but also, even from a, a standpoint of what's going to happen to us, there are some shifts over there that I think could potentially pretend to what happens to us over the long term. So, so lots, lots going on. Um, and it, 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 while our attention span is often short, war doesn't just cater to our attention span. Yeah, that's right. You were talking off the air about potentially the Russians are thinking about invading Lithuania or sending some signs in that direction? Yes, yeah, it's been a a disturbing development over the last few weeks. So going back, I want to say somewhere in in mid-May, I believe, uh, some of the loyalist members, I mean, pretty much all of the Russian parliament is loyal to Vladimir Putin, or certainly the most of it, but, but some of the most loyal members of the Russian parliament were floating a bill that would revoke Lithuanian independence. So uh, Lithuania became independent as part of the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and the suggestion was that that was somehow invalid. Um, Whether that factors into what's happening now or not, I don't think anyone's been explicitly saying, although it sort of feels like it. But in any case, Lithuania saying that it's implementing parts of the EU sanctions package that's been passed against Russia is now blocking Russian freight transit on its rail lines um, for any, any number of important things like steel or coal or what have you. The interesting thing there with, with that is, so just to kind of put this all together for our listeners, the, the reason this is important to Russia is that while Lithuania isn't directly bordering Russia, um, what, what Lithuania does is provide a 
path from mainland Russia to Kaliningrad, which is on the Black Sea and is a actual part of Russia for, uh, well, ever since the end of World War II. So uh, it's a naval base for Russia, and so it's it's a launching pad potentially for further Russian aggression. And Lithuania, it seems to me, rightly is disturbed by the idea of its rail lines being used to pass freight that could be used eventually to attack it or or strengthen Russia's military position in general. But they do have an agreement from uh, from the time of their independence to allow Russian freight through. They're saying that because of Russia's unprovoked aggression against Ukraine and the, the subsequent sanctions that they are in the right for blocking it. But but here's the thing, and this is where it's going to potentially affect us. Russia is saying that Lithuania's action is potentially, well, not even potentially, they're saying is a cause for war, that they're going to take several days to, to analyze what's going on. But there is certainly the suggestion that Russia might take aggressive action towards Lithuania. If they do, that changes everything because Lithuania is a member of NATO. And so if Lithuania is actually attacked by Russia, that would draw us directly into the war. That's right. I I was wondering uh, when you were going to mention that. Uh, so let us hope uh, for our sakes that Lithuania is not invaded, uh, that America is not directly involved in the conflict. Uh, but if we have to, we have to. So uh, we'll see what happens here. This is definite cause for concern. Uh, it does one of the, one of the legitimate grievances, or potentially legitimate grievance that Putin has is that he wants to have uh, buffer states, uh, states that border him that are relatively friendly to him, uh, which does not justify his action in Ukraine but at least gives it some context. Um, and there's a, a long-running Russian sort of myth of the East, which is Russia against the world. You know, the the, the Rus against the world. So uh, a bit conspiratorial, but wanting buffer states to protect it from uh, Western aggression and and cultural infiltration and all sorts of things. Um, and I think this would be a grave misstep, not only a misstep from their strategic objectives, but obviously morally objectionable for yes. Russia to invade Lithuania. So we'll see what happens here. Yeah. I have to say, I am appreciative of Lithuania's spunk in this matter. Um, the West has spent so much time fretting over not somehow antagonizing Putin and what we're doing and the ways we're supporting Ukraine, even if it's not overpowering the Russians, clearly we're not making the Russians happy. So just go ahead and do what's right. And I'm pleased here uh, to see Lithuania saying, you're not going to use our country to pass weapons and to pass uh, resources that can be made into weapons from one part of Russia to another. And so I think it's the right thing to do, but it, it certainly is a risky thing to do. And so that's been something that we've struggled with, I'd say, as the allies over this war, is at what point are we willing to do the risky right thing? Um, but if we look at, and you and I have talked about this over and over again, if we look at the overall trajectory of history, um, the times where where 
people chose not to do the right thing because it seemed too risky, usually whatever they were fearing in the risk ends up happening anyway. It just ends up maybe stalling it a little bit. So I don't think that Lithuania's decision here ultimately is going to determine whether we end up in the war or not. It may become the immediate cause for that. Um, you know, uh, it, it could be the, the stray bullet that happens to hit the wrong person, uh, in this particular war. But, but clearly we can't, we can't keep humoring Russia where we, we sort of take a tough stand and we have some tough rhetoric, but then we let them keep doing what they're doing. And, uh, the continued atrocities we see in Ukraine are, are just heartbreaking. They're, they're catastrophic and, and they're going to affect all of us. I mean, even if, and this is not how we should decide things, but even if we're purely coming at it from a self-interested standpoint, um, we know that we're going to feel morally obliged to rebuild Ukraine. And it's going to cost the West billions, if not trillions of dollars at this point to help them rebuild. And so yeah. to, to allow Russia to kind of keep tearing things down that we're going to have to rebuild um, is going to affect us. And that's not even getting to what's the real heart of the moral issue, which is that tens of thousands of innocent civilians that have no reason to be found be in the middle of a conflict zone are are being killed for this unprovoked war. So good for Lithuania, uh, but we we do need to be aware. And uh, I sort of on that note too, did you catch comrade that uh Putin's also made a thinly veiled threat towards Kazakhstan in the last week. So it's not purely not Lithuania. I did not catch that. Yeah, um the the Kazakh, we weren't planning to talk about this, the Kazakh president, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, met in a joint session with Putin. And of course, Kazakhstan and, and Russia have had uh, historically close relations. Of course, they're both part of the Soviet Union. Um, but Kazakhstan has been, uh, for a relatively Russia-friendly country, uh, hesitant to fully embrace what Russia is doing in Ukraine. They've sent humanitarian supplies to Ukraine. Um, they've refused to, to recognize the breakaway republics that Russia's recognized. And, and the president of Kazakhstan was questioned on that. And in response, because Putin wasn't pleased with what he said, apparently, he noted that uh, people should essentially quit talking about where the Soviet Union used to be because the Soviet Union is historic Russia. And in other words, he intends to restore historic Russia. Um, and so, clear threat from everyone that analyzes Putin seems to have agreed that's a clear threat from Putin towards Kazakhstan, which, um, while not what we typically think of as classic Russia, is very much a part of the historic Soviet Union. And so, if he's conflating the two and has made it very clear he intends to restore the historic Russian Empire's grandeur, um, I'd be worried if I were the Kazakhs right now, and I think I'd be having secret talks with with uh, NATO folks, which they at least have marginally good relations with, about where that might stand, uh, because it wouldn't surprise me if Putin, if he thinks he can do it, will expand this war out. One, one more thought on this. I think that if he triggers a fight with the NATO alliance, it would be a disaster for Putin, strategically and otherwise. So he may think um, that this is where he wants to go, but obviously as bogged down as he is in Ukraine, if he takes on the entire NATO alliance, he could be crushed, and he could be removed from power. So, I'm not inviting him to do that, 
I think at some point, uh, and that, there's an ongoing debate. I, I, I keep interrupting myself in the middle of a sentence. There's an ongoing a, debate uh, among American analysts whether Putin is crazy or whether he's pretending to be crazy to achieve a particular strategic objective. I think triggering a fight with the NATO alliance would be a huge unforced error and let us know that you know his strategic sense as an autocrat, as an empire builder, is not actually so strong. So um, let's hope it doesn't happen, but if it does, NATO will be ready, the United States will be ready. Yeah, I, you know, the, the one thing that does worry me is, uh, obviously, and, and this has been on everybody's mind through this whole thing, and that's really, I think, probably the reason that we're not directly intervening in Ukraine, is the nuclear question. And that's the one part where it gets a little bit scary for all of us, because while um, by the standards of modern armies and modern capabilities, clearly I believe the NATO alliance is ahead of Russia, uh, we are not necessarily ahead of Russia when it comes to nuclear weapons. They have more of them, and they seem to be more active in developing uh, ways to deploy them. So uh, we definitely need to hope that we don't go to that nuclear war that we tried so hard to avoid during the Cold War and um, continues to feel not necessarily inevitable, but certainly much more present than it's been in a very long time. Yeah, I, I would say, quickly, I would say that uh, the deployment of nuclear weapons would not be, would not assist Putin in the achievement of any strategic objectives that I'm aware of. So that would be that would be a nightmare scenario uh, for the world, just the the triumph of nihilism. So you would hope that some sort of rational actor uh, mentality takes over uh, at some point for Putin. So he'll threaten, uh, and as long as he can, as long as he can threaten without actually having to carry through, uh, and the world caves, well then do that. If it's less costly, then threaten and do that. I don't think the deployment of nuclear weapons uh, is very likely. I mean, it's something we have to worry about, but I don't think it's very likely in this case. So, Yeah. This, this is a place where, I, to me, just sort of a maybe a final thought for the moment on this, but to me, this is where we need to actually follow Lithuania's example. Um, we shouldn't encourage nuclear war. I think, as you say, there's a, a strong reason why if Putin actually has any rational objective at all, um, it would not aid that. Um, but whatever the case, if Putin really is willing to go there, um, toying with him and, and doing little half measures for month after month and maybe year after year isn't going to prevent it. Um, so the best thing we can do is act decisively, strongly, and in a unified way against Putin and hope that, um, as you said, rational minds prevail. And, and even on the Russian side, if it's clear that Russia is going to meet enough unified opposition from the EU and the United States and the other Western allies, um, that it can't obtain its objectives and the only possible direction is a nuclear war that will destroy everybody, Maybe some of the more rational minds in Russia, even the ones that are relatively bellicose at the moment, would say, uh, we need a new leader because this isn't going to accomplish anything for us either. 
Uh, I think that would be a goal that we should be hoping for. And we have a better chance of that if we actually act decisively than if we keep trying to appease in little bits by not going too harsh on them. Right. I agree. We'll come back to this. Yes, definitely. Unfortunately, it's something that's going to be around to be talked about for a while. Not only with Ukraine, but all over the world and in our own lives, we have lots of serious things to deal with. And sometimes we just need a little stress relief. And that is one of the reasons I love to tell people about anagrammal.com. That's A-N-A-G-R-A-M-L-E.com. Anagrammal.com is a word-a-day game. You, you know word-a-day games. You have fun with word-a-day games. But it's a different kind of word-a-day game where you receive one word that appears in the English Bible every day. And you see how many words you can rearrange it into. Uh, you, you need to come up with five of them. The key thing is to come up with five of them that use as many letters and the most valuable letters possible so that you can get the highest score possible. And it's a really fun thing to play with friends where, where you see who can get the, the best valued score. And we, we live in a crazy world. This isn't going to solve any world problems, certainly not going to end war. But sometimes you just need to have a little bit of, of fun and, and tune out for three or four or five minutes, ten minutes there, and just sort of de-stress. And anagrammal.com is a great way to do that. Ad-free and free for always. Check it out, anagrammal.com. Every now and then I get a feeling in my bones That I'm just wandering on my own hit my knees and I'm crying now please oh Lord won't you bring me back home yeah wash me in the water cleanse me in the mercy of your love I need a Well, our, our listeners will remember in our last episode, we talked about the continued drama at the Supreme Court. And of course, we had over the month of May that very stunning leak of a draft decision concerning abortion. And everyone who follows the Supreme Court at all knows that May and especially June are the big reveal. It's the time that you're going to hear the decisions of substance for the year. But here we are, we are recording this over uh, halfway through the month of June, and we still have not heard any of the big decisions that people are really waiting for, including the one that was leaked. So, Comrade, what do you think's happening? I wish I knew. Uh, hopefully, the, the voting patterns that were shown in the leaked draft have not changed. Um, 
you might potentially believe that there's some negotiation among the justices uh, to change the decision. Um, but there's no way of knowing that. We have already seen um, acts of violence and vandalism in response to the draft. Uh, there's been some uh, attacks and, and defilements and defacements of Catholic churches uh, based on uh, what was in the draft and, and uh, what we believe the decision will be in Dobbs limiting abortion, potentially overturning Roe v. Wade. Um, and that's appalling. Interestingly enough, I mean, the, the Catholic Church itself did file an amicus brief in the case, but it does that all the time. Why Catholic churches would be the focus for violence is unclear, um, but interesting, that gives us maybe a sense that something spiritual is going on, not just among people. Um, you know, the Catholic Church being such a steadfast defender of life in all its stages, for all its history. Uh, I guess the I guess the proponents of abortion are well aware of that. Uh, but they did not take, the Catholic Church has not taken an active role in this case, so for them to be attacked is strange uh, and also distressing and kind of disturbing. Very. Um, it's so sad seeing people who are allegedly, you know, it gets framed that they're trying to defend people they see as underprivileged. Um, whether it's they're saying they're defending women and their right to choose, uh, which is kind of unfortunate wording since women are half of the those being aborted, at least. Um, and, you know, you have that. Um, you, they'll also talk about how it's going to hurt minorities or what have you. And yet, these people that say they're defending people are actually going and threatening innocent people violently over the... And, uh, like you said, people that aren't even necessarily directly involved, even if they are involved, it's disturbing to me seeing some of the protests that have come up in front of Supreme Court justices' homes and, and some of the things around that as well. It's just, and to be fair, I, I will fully acknowledge for any listeners that might be saying this, yes, the other side, uh, the right has done this in some cases as well. And let's, can we just stop pointing fingers and just say every single time it's wrong? And it's very much wrong right here. And, um, we, we, we've got to stop this. It's just ridiculous. As, as patriotic Americans, you and I, and as Christians, I think we have a duty, and I will call out sort of the mainstreaming of political violence lately, uh, over these past many years. And it takes many different ideological Forms and persuasions. There was an uh, attack at the congressional softball game several years ago, and Steve Scalise was nearly murdered. Uh, fortunately, he survived. I mean, I don't think I agree with Steve Scalise on hardly anything, but it's appalling that anyone would just decide they're going to going to try to kill him, you know, uh, and on and on. So it's important for us to to say as Christians, hey, we don't believe in violence. That's not the way things work here in America. Um, we do our fighting at the ballot box, 
and with the ballot box and with with the uh, legislator's pen and the president's pen, uh, but not with violence. And if we're not committed to that, despite whatever unique uh, ideological ideas that we could come up with, um, if we're not committed to nonviolence, then basically we're not fully committed to being Americans. Um, and that's a tragedy. Very, very much so. And that actually leads us to our next subject for the today. There's a, a Senate race, of course, happening in many different states, but happening here in Missouri. And let me just play a little bit of a clip. Uh, if our listeners haven't seen the video, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this eventually gets taken down. So far, Twitter's been um, been playing a little bit loose on this because it realizes that it's useful to dis- to discuss, but it's really disturbing. This clip, just as a warning, it is disturbing, but this is from perhaps the leading GOP Senate candidate in Missouri right now. I'm Eric Wrighton's Navy SEAL, and today we're going rhino hunting. The rhino feeds on corruption and is marked by the stripes of cowardice. Join the MAGA crew, get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until we save our country. And just to set the context for that video, since you're only hearing it, uh, it has what looks like a, 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 a special ops military team busting down the door of a house that has a mailbox that refers to a rhino, a rhino being a Republican in name only. Uh, and it's very clearly referring to that, not the animal, because of the way it's spelled in the video. Um, a, a Republican in name only. They bust down the door with their weapons. Greitens is holding a gun. Uh, there's smoke bombs going off. Um, it, very much is using a presentation of actual violence in relation to speaking about his not his political opponents and his political opponents it wouldn't be right even if it were in the other party but not even that but those that he doesn't feel are enough of a republican in his own particular framing of republican um comrade what's your reaction to that again we just talked about the mainstreaming of political violence and you know, we, we see various instances of gun violence breaking out and and unstable people getting hold of weapons and, and harming innocents. And then this guy is essentially encouraging people to commit violence. Even if he claims to be joking, it's not funny. You know, and I and I gotta be frank with you, I'm just tired of this guy. We he was removed as governor. Uh, for good reason. Uh, he's of questionable character at best. And now, now he, if he's not outright encouraging violence, he's foolishly unaware of the potential for political violence based on what we've been seeing around the country. So vote for anyone else in the primary. Seriously, my fellow Missourians. Um, we have other choices. We have other good choices. Eric Schmidt and Vicki Hartzler and even Dave Schatz, who I don't think has a chance in Dairy Queen. Uh, choose anyone else. 
let's get rid of this guy. Let's send this guy packing. Yeah, you know, and, and just to get out of the, the political rhetoric that we hear, I know a lot of people, I think, might be willing to turn a blind eye to some of Greitens' behavior because they say, well, it was a political hit job uh, back when he was removed from being governor. But what we need to remember, if we rewind, is there was enough evidence and there there's enough that can't be denied and that he's even admitted to uh, that while there certainly were political forces that opposed him and certainly political forces from the Democratic Party that that uh, that wanted him out, the the clear trend in the Republican Party back when he was removed was also that it was time for him to go because of the moral corruption and the political corruption around Greitens. Um, he resigned because it was very clear he was going to be impeached in a state that's controlled by the Republican Party if he stayed in, in office. And so this isn't merely somebody who's been persecuted by the evils of the of his political opposing party. This is someone who even his own party recognized was bad news, and he continues to be bad news. And certainly as Christians, I don't think we should be able to support a candidate who is making videos that imply we should do violence. Like you said, even if it's a joke, we shouldn't even be joking about shooting those that we disagree with politically. Um, it shouldn't even be, it shouldn't be funny. It isn't funny. And as Christians, we should say, no, we're not doing this. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're of one mind on this, uh, and those of you who are able to participate in the primary, it's coming up on August 2nd, so you can register uh, your disapproval of this kind of stuff on August 2nd. Uh, just quickly before we move on the, to the next segment, Comrade, any thoughts on what's going on with other primaries around the country? Well, yeah, we mentioned Georgia off the air. Uh, Herschel Walker is running as the Republican nominee. He's opposing Raphael Warnock, who won a special election in Georgia uh, back in 2020. Um, and it looks it looks to me like uh, Walker, with his personal issues, um, is going to go down. Uh, he... What what a celebrity candidacy relies on is being an outsider and being ahead of the calcified, entrenched, shall we say, establishment interests. Um, so once he's he's lost this lead, then some polls are showing him dead even with Warnock now. Uh, I don't know if he has a lot of usefulness uh, to the Republican Party at this point. Um, if he's not ahead of Warnock right now. Uh, so what that means for the U.S. Senate is it's going to give another seat that should be solidly read back to the Democrats again in a closely divided Senate. So if I were the party, uh, if there's at all still time to get somebody else in there, uh, that's what I would do if I were the Republican Party in Georgia. Uh, maybe it's too late. I don't know. It's certainly a reminder, and I feel like this is something we've seen from both political parties. We're in such a hurry to select the candidate that we think is going to own the other side that we it seems like whatever side we're on, we're, we're willing to overlook huge moral issues, uh, huge political issues, um, because we're so convinced that somehow we're going to get the other side. And what we really need to do is rewind the clock, go back to what we 
allegedly cared about even a few decades ago and and be pushing up candidates that have um that that aren't coming with tons of baggage i mean there's something wrong when we keep doing that and and yes i know there were pl- there were plenty of corrupt politicians in the past but we've gotten so calloused about it and i i don't think that's helping and and we're also seeing as you said here um i i think there's a, a genuine likelihood uh that you could have a seat that would go to one party that will go to the other party simply because primary voters have stopped caring about actually electing someone that the general populace can support. Right. And I I would say in agreement that, you know, I'm the person who will support a moral candidate that has no chance of winning if I firmly believe in the things that they support and they're good people. And And myself, I would rather be a candidate who would lose in a blaze of glory standing for what I believe in and doing so forthrightly and honestly and and with character and with understanding and openness and even tolerance, I dare say, than, uh, than owning the other side with someone else or even with myself. You know, I don't live to own whoever the other side would be. You stand for office... You should stand for office based on what you believe in and because you believe that you can make America better than it is now, not to get back at somebody that you don't like. The funny thing about politics is we think about a lot of the machinations and even the ones we've been alluding to and and so much of it is a bunch of, of smoke and fire being artificially created just to cause us to race to one candidate or another. It's much ado about nothing. And speaking of much ado about nothing, comrade, you went and saw the great Shakespeare play, which is far better than this political drama, entitled Much Ado About I Nothing. Uh, I'll just say briefly uh, that I really enjoyed it. Uh, Shakespeare in the Park here locally is is lovely, and it's a great cultural thing that we do here in St. Louis, uh, that we do in Forest Park, uh, and it's free. Uh, one of the great free attractions that we have in our city. And I was a little confused about a few things. Hero was dead, and then she comes back alive. Or she, she wasn't, she wasn't actually dead. Uh, and so she comes back, and I was a little bit confused. Um, they were sort of testing Benedict there at the end to see uh, if his sorrow for the whole situation was genuine. And then she came back. And then, you know, uh, maybe I'm confused. But I had a really nice time. Well, you know, the the fun thing about this play, and, and I always think of Much Ado About Nothing and As You Like It sort of as a set. They're, they're lighthearted plays, two of Shakespeare's great romantic comedies. And the titles kind of tell you what they are. Uh, much Ado About Nothing is very much Much Ado About Nothing. There's a bunch of manipulation and trickery and and all that involved in this, lots of, of plays of wit. And in that, you know, not a whole lot's happening, and yet a ton is happening. And of course, since it's a comedy, as anyone who's familiar with Shakespeare can say, a Shakespearean comedy, 
you can tell it from a tragedy. The tragedy ends with a bloodbath. Everyone's dead at the end other than the one person who can go and tell the story. In a comedy, in a Shakespearean comedy, everyone's married at the end, uh, usually. <laughs> at least most everybody. Uh, you always have a wedding at the end, it seems like. And, and it's fun. It, it's a perfect Shakespeare in the Park type play because it's, it's light. It, it, it's, it's just joyful. And if you can enjoy wordplay at all, it, it's delightful. And, and I love the interplay between Benedict and Beatrice. It's just so much fun. And like you said, that, that test is pretty ingenious concerning Hero. So, um, if someone hasn't seen it, they really should, uh, find a recording of Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. So you have, uh, you have until June 26th, uh, to get out and see it at the park there in Forest Park if you're here locally in St. Louis. If not, find your local Shakespeare festival and, and go to that. Uh, great cultural events and Shakespeare is one of our leading lights. So let's not forget uh, the things that made our society great in past ages. Shakespeare is one of those. Definitely. And if you remember Shakespeare from back in high school and being required to read, uh, say, Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet, and, and you found yourself confused, one thing I'll say, if you see it on video or if you see it performed it live, even better, uh, for one, you're experiencing it as it was actually intended. It wasn't intended just to be read. So that helps. But also the context can help pull you in if you're kind of running into some language barriers. It's really not that hard once you, you try it a little bit. But if you are, go and see or go watch a Shakespearean performance. And these are two great plays. Certainly, Much Ado About Nothing is a fantastic play to kind of get into the Shakespearean mold. Um, and recognize and enjoy perhaps the absolute height of, of English literature. Uh, here's something that's in our own language. That's something that the Shakespearean canon is some of the greatest written art created in the history of the world. So don't miss out on it. Um, I really can't say that enough. You know what can really bring a damper, though, to going and seeing Shakespeare outdoors? It's bad weather. And so you should always check before you go to Shakespeare in the Park or anywhere else, you should go to faithtree.com weather. You can go over there at faithtree.com slash weather and get ad-free, accurate weather anywhere in the world, hourly breakdowns, day-by-day breakdown for 10 days, and a scripture that relates to the weather that's going on. It's unique, and it won't track you like so many other weather sites. Faithtree.com weather. Stay ahead of the weather this summer and the rest of the year. As we always like to do before we wrap up the show, we we love to turn to God's Word and be reminded of His faithfulness and His love. And comrade, this week you were really uh, digging into Psalm 136 that was on your heart. Maybe you could uh, take us over there. Yeah, I mean, the the Psalms are one of the great portions of sacred scripture, uh, and we know that we can find a lot of encouragement there. Uh, As you know, you've been following along with some songs for our temple with Faith Tree, but you can turn to the Psalms anytime and you can find uh, strength and, uh, and help in time of need. So Psalm 136 is just a psalm of praising God for his goodness, his work in creation, 
and also his work in history. So I'll just read a few verses, and we'll notice a couple things. Psalm 136, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of God, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone, who to him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. This will be the theme, steadfast love. The Lord is the one who is steadfast love. And in the Hebrew, that's hesed. Um, and it's, it's this enduring, unbreakable faithfulness. This quality of God, he doesn't change. There are so many people in the world, and even ourselves, we change, and we fail, and we are double-minded, and we are confused, and we are sinful, and the Lord is the exact opposite of that. The Lord can be trusted in a way that no one else can, including ourselves. And so when we... When we call out to God who is steadfast love, we know, especially that when we ask for spiritual things, that we will get an answer. We That prayer will be answered. If we say, oh Lord, I want to trust in you. I want to embrace your steadfast love. I want to be comforted by your steadfast love. Surround me in your steadfast love. Then he's going to answer that prayer every single time. There's certain kinds of prayers that are always answered. Lord, increase my faith, increase my love, increase my trust in you, will always be answered. So this one who is God is trustworthy, and he's trustworthy all the time. Uh, No matter wars going on, uh, political troubles going on, violence going on, the Lord is steadfast love, and he can be relied on no matter what's going on. And the writer of Psalm 136 wants to repeat it over and over, for his steadfast love endures forever. If we can trust in that and count on that, uh, then we've got a good start to a good day and a good week, a good month and a good year and a good life. Amen. I really don't know what I could add to that. You're, you're just taking us to one of the core places we find hope in God, right? Because um if he were changeable like everything else, it'd be really hard to trust in his promises. But knowing that he is steadfast, we can come before him and we can hear his promises, his promise that we can turn to him and he will save us and know that he actually does what he says he's going to do. And isn't that refreshing? Isn't it refreshing when we see all these things you're referring to and how uncertain they are, that God says he's going to do something and God does what he says and we can stake our life on it. Yeah, we can put all our hope on it. And on Christ, who is revealed the Son of God, who died for our sins and rose again. Amen. Yeah, uh, I I know that many of our, our listeners already know that and believe that, and and I'm so thankful for that. But certainly if you've tuned in and you've never trusted in Jesus, this is a good time to do so. I mean, we live in such an uncertain world. But if you look at who he is, and you look at God's love throughout the whole of Scripture, and you start to see how we can even see that love in in the created order of the world, that 
that God has made for us to dwell in. And we're told in the midst of that that he genuinely is constant and faithful. It is so amazing to know that something like that exists, that someone out there is actually genuinely steadfast. And he isn't steadfast for just certain people that are good enough. He's steadfast for you and for me. And that is genuinely an amazing joy. We have reached the end of another episode of Zippy the Wonder Sound and delighted to end on such a note as that and delighted to be with you again, Tim, and hope to be with you again next time. And all our listeners, uh, glad you're with us and you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app uh, and find us. We're here for you to bring you encouragement and joy and maybe information from time to time. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time.